Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Happy Easter, Venture. What an incredible story of life change. I I really appreciate Monica and especially her sister Nicole in sharing her story. It has been exciting to see how God has changed Nicole's life over the last year. In fact, I appreciate all the life change stories. That's what I love about Easter. Easter is all about life change. It's about resurrection. It's about new life. And it's one of the reasons I love celebrating Easter together. I got to admit, it's a little disappointing to not be able to be here with all of you to be able to sing together and to celebrate Easter. But we're going to embrace, it's not the Easter we planned, but it is the Easter God planned. And and it's a little bit different for me. Uh, You know, I was thinking about it over 30 years of working in church. I've never been home Easter morning with my family when there's the Easter baskets and all. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure a lot of you, you're more casual than you usually are this Easter. Uh, Most of you are probably still in your PJs. I I thought at least I'd wear a sport coat, try to class it up a little bit. I desperately need a haircut. I can't do anything about that. But we're celebrating Easter, and we're excited about what it means. You know, holidays very rarely go like we planned or like we expected. I was thinking about one Easter morning. I was already at church, and Lee, all those years, especially when the kids were little, she she would have to get them up, get them dressed in Easter clothes, do the Easter baskets. And one year, she was coming to church, and we lived in Arkansas, and, and right by our house were some woods. And literally, as she's coming down our street, this rabbit runs in front of the car, and she taps it with the car a little bit. And suddenly, the kids scream. And one of them said, you, you hit that rabbit. And, and Lee looked over and she said, I, I think he's fine. He's uh, moving. And he was moving, kind of limping his way off the road into the woods. And, and she said, you know, I think he's starting to shake it off a little bit. And, and one of the older kids said, no, mom, I think you nailed it. And, and the younger kids are upset about it. And she said, he's fine. He's fine. He's going to be all right. And they came on to church, and and I still remember we were sitting on the front row kind of doing that pastor's family thing where church had just started, and I'm greeting them all, and I'm telling them, hey, happy Easter. And and I look at Lee, and she gives me one of those smiles like it's been one of those mornings. And and look over at the kids, and I was like, happy Easter. And our youngest looks up at me, Jude, and I'll never forget it. He, He says, mom killed the Easter bunny. I was like, wait, what? Is there some kind of ritual sacrifice I don't know about or what's going on with it? And she leaned over and she said, I didn't kill the Easter bunny. It wasn't the Easter bunny and he's not dead. We may have hit a rabbit with the car and he's limping, but he's fine. And one of the older boys spoke up and said, well, you know, at this point, a coyote or a snake, I'm sure has gotten him. He's got to be dead. And I, I was looking at them like, you're not helping here. And, and Lee's like, oh. Can we just celebrate Easter? And and in that, let me just say to kids who might be watching it, it was not the Easter Bunny, and I'm sure that rabbit lived a long, healthy life, maybe limping a little bit. But holidays are like that, whether it's Easter or Christmas, any of the events, when, when you try to get it all together, very rarely does it ever live up to expectations. And I think, especially this year, none of us have known what to expect with Easter. In some ways, this Easter 
is probably closer to the first one than any we've celebrated. A lot of the confusion, a lot of the people not knowing what's going on, people trying to figure it out as they go. In fact, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 24. If you don't, don't worry. I've kept it pretty simple this week. You notice there's not an outline. I just want to walk you through this story of, of that first Easter, of a holiday that really didn't go according to plan. Now, for them, it wasn't Easter they were celebrating. The Jewish people were celebrating Passover. And they had been so excited about this particular Passover, the crowds had thronged to Jerusalem because the word had come that Jesus, the proposed Messiah, was coming. And if you look over the course of that week, it started a week before on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, everybody's crying out Hosanna, it looks like the Messiah has come. And then the way the events unfolded, it's like nobody expected in fact, there's one couple on Easter morning in Luke 24 that Luke highlights. I, I think it may be my favorite Easter story because it's, it's not any of the followers or disciples that any of us had known before. This is just a couple that had come to Jerusalem for Passover who had been excited about Jesus. You can tell from their words, they were followers of Jesus. But now on Easter morning, they find themselves going home. It's Sunday. The holiday's over. It didn't go like they expected. And Jesus, out of everybody he could reveal himself to, decides to walk the journey with them. They live seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they're walking that journey on the way home, Jesus suddenly shows up. But it says in the passage they don't recognize him. Read with me in this story. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, notice, looking sad. They're devastated about the events of the weekend. They're sad about the crucifixion. They don't know what to make of it all. Then one of them named Cleopas, and this was a common name. Uh, the female version is Cleopatra. The male version was Cleopas, kind of like Joseph and Josephine. One of them, Cleopas, answered him. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days. Now, it's the two of them. Some commentators think they were a couple, that Cleopas is a husband, and it was he and his wife walking together. And as Jesus kind of asked them, he says, hey, what are you guys upset about? And, and they look at him and go, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Now, this is a great indicator that, that Jesus' crucifixion on the cross was not this little event that no one knew about. They're basically declaring here, everyone in the city knows about this. How do you not? Jesus continues on with them. Read the next part. Jesus said to them, well, what things in particular? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and notice how they describe him, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God. He did things no one had ever done before. He said things. He taught us in a way that no one had ever taught before. We had so much hope in him because of this. He did it before God and all the people. And you don't know how the chief priest, the Jewish leaders, and the rulers, both the Gentile and the Jewish leaders, the Roman authorities and the chief priests, they delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. 
And this is the part that really has them rattled. Because a crucifixion meant he was hung on a tree. In Deuteronomy 21, 23, it's one of the strongest passages if you were a Jewish follower. It said in it, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Literally, the word is accursed. It means they're damned by God. And, and so they're so confused because they look at it. This prophet, he did something that no one else has done. He did miracles nobody had done. He taught in a way nobody had done. We had hopes in him, but then he was crucified on a tree. He's literally cursed by God. Look at this last line. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Man, we had placed our hopes in him. Now, as they continue on, they know about the events of this morning. Read with me as they continue. Cleopas says, yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things had happened. I mean, they're followers enough, they realize he had said something about rising on the third day. Moreover, some of the women of our company, they've amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, the women are saying this. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb. They're talking about Peter and John. And they found it just as the women had said. They found the tomb was empty. And I love this last line. But him, Jesus, they did not see. They're literally standing with Jesus. They're looking at Jesus. And they say this line. They go, yeah, but nobody's seen Jesus. And nobody has a clue where Jesus is. And, and if you look at it, there, there's all these just points that are connecting it. It's like one of those pictures. You know, when you're a kid, you get a picture and you go from number to number to number and it connects the dots. And, and all these dots are connecting. And even though the picture's coming into focus, even the miracles they're describing here, they still can't see it. As we continue on with it, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He, he says, I can't believe you're not connecting the dots here. And notice the reason why. He says it's because you're slow of heart. He doesn't say they're slow of head. He doesn't say, oh, you're, you're ignorant, you're dumb. And if you were just smarter, you would get this. This isn't an issue of smarts. This isn't an issue of information. It's an issue of disbelief. They, they, they can't see it because it so doesn't match the picture of what they were expecting. It so doesn't match the picture of what the Messiah was supposed to be. For them, the Messiah is a ruler. For them, the Messiah is the one that's going to raise up Israel. And he's going to overthrow Rome. And he's going to reestablish a physical kingdom there. And he says, because of that, because you've so set your expectations on the way it should be, you're slow of heart. You can't see this. And you don't even see all that the prophets have spoken. And here's the key point that's tripping them up. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Don't you recognize, and this is one of the key problems they had, because in their mind, the Messiah is a conqueror. In their mind, the Messiah is going to manifest physical power. The Messiah was not a sufferer. And he says, because of that, don't you recognize, the prophet said all along he had to suffer before the glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus, and he literally is going to walk the rest of the seven miles with them, 
and give them a, a lesson and just walk through them and go, hey, let's go back through your Bible. Let's go back through what you know. And, and as he walks through them, he says, do you see how this points to Jesus as the Messiah? And, and he walks through it and he goes all the way back to Moses. He says, remember Moses, there were people that were enslaved and someone needed to rescue them and God raised up Moses in that. And in that, there was the, the powerful miracles of the plague. Remember the last one, the one you just celebrated, Passover? What did you do at Passover? There was a lamb that was slain. They took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the wood, the doorpost. Does that remind you of a cross maybe and the blood that was on it? Remember how Moses took them through the Red Sea? Remember how Moses, they were fed the bread that came down from heaven, the water that came out of the rock. Remember Moses gave them the tabernacle that became the, the temple. And in that tabernacle, there was that place, the Holy of Holies, where the Spirit of God would come down. And the only way the people were not judged is the high priest would go behind that curtain and he'd sprinkle the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed so that they could have atonement. You remember that part of it? Remember that curtain that, celebrated, that separated that space? Uh, you may not have heard, but last Friday, that cur curtain was ripped open. God's doing this thing. He, he walked through him through scripture after scripture. It says he walked through the prophets. He could point to a prophetic psalm like Psalm 22, when David cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should trip an alarm for him that they go, wait, isn't that what Jesus said on the cross? Remember in Psalm 22, how it talked about his hands and his feet would be pierced? Remember how it says in Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem? Remember how it said in Zephaniah he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Remember how it said in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah is a suffering servant? And for our transgressions, he was crushed. He was pierced, Isaiah 53 said. I can just see Jesus walking through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, and he's just connecting God after dot, after dot, to trying to help them come to see the picture as it really is. But they're still not there yet. They haven't had that aha moment. And, and I love the way the drama builds. In, in a lot of ways, it's like a movie. I, I love a movie that has a twist at the end. I, I remember years ago, the movie The Sixth Sense. And you're watching this movie, the kid, the little boy, he can see dead people. And Bruce Willis is the psychiatrist that's helping him. And, and at the end of the movie, what did we discover? You find out, wait, Bruce Willis is dead. He's been dead the whole time. And some of you are like, well, thanks, Tim. Spoiler alert. It's been out 20 years, okay? So I don't care if you had it queued up for Netflix this week. Sorry. But in the movie, I mean, in that moment, when you see, wait, Bruce Willis is dead, it changes the whole movie. You, you have those experience in movies. When you find out verbal Kent is Kaiser Solze and you go, oh, no way. Or I remember as a little kid, I still remember going to see The Empire Strikes Back. And in that moment, when Darth Vader looks over at him, he says that famous line, Luke, I am your father. And Luke cries out, no! And I remember as a kid, I was like, no, this can't be true. It changes everything. And you go back through the story again, you go, oh, I see it in a whole new way. They haven't had that moment but it's about to come. Because as they, they get to the end of the journey, they're at Emmaus, and Jesus acts like he's going to go on. They go, no, 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 no. Stay, it's late. Come in, have a meal with us. 
And they sit down at the table. And when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And this brings back the night with his disciples. He broke the bread and he gave it to them. And in that moment, look, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And, and just in the cool drama as only Jesus could do, and he vanished from their sight. It's kind of that Kaiser Solze, like that, he's gone. And, and they're looking at each other, they're like, whoa. Look at the next line. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scripture? I mean, couldn't you feel it? I can only imagine at this point, Cleopas' wife's looking at him going, I told you, I told you there was something different about him. I told you, and he's like, okay, okay. And they run excited, and they run back to the disciples, and they tell the disciples. And, and then Jesus does the same thing with the disciples. He has that aha moment with them. He has that aha moment with his brother. He has that aha moment with over 500 people, it tells us, in Corinthians. And in that moment, it changes everything, guys. What changed it? Resurrection. What changed it for all of them? resurrection. That Jesus wasn't just a great teacher. He didn't just do miracles. He didn't just teach great stories. He didn't even just die on a cross. Oh wait, he rose from the dead. And that changed everything. That's what changed the disciples. That's what changed Jesus' brother James. That's what changed a guy like Saul who becomes Paul. Saul who hated Jesus. Saul who even by his own admission said, I could never trust Jesus because he died on a tree. He was cursed by God until one day Jesus appears to him on the road. And when he sees Jesus here, he suddenly has to change his whole belief system. The picture changes. There's another dot to add to it. And when he adds that dot, he's like, wait a second. Okay, if he was cursed by God, it wasn't because of his sins. It's because of ours. And if he's standing here in front of me, if he's resurrected, this changes everything. Guys, that's why I love Easter. It's the aha moment of all of human history. It changes us for everybody. That's why all these life stories you see, that's why they're true because of what Jesus did. And, and he, he didn't just do this figuratively or spiritually, or some people try to make it out to be, it's just a story to believe. He actually did it in human history. And because he did it in history, that changes everything. You know, I remember years ago, Christopher Hitchens, he was a writer. I, I loved him as a writer. And uh, he, he was a, a pretty strong atheist. Uh, he would do debates and argue with Christianity, came out with a, a book years ago, back in 2009, was kind of his biggest book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And I, I, obviously, I don't agree with anything he said, but, but I, I love the way he could turn a phrase. I felt like he was an honest debater. And I'll never forget one time he was being interviewed when the book came out up in the, the Northwest. And it was actually a Unitarian minister. And, and this Unitarian minister said, you know, you titled your book, How Religion Poisons Everything. And she was trying to present herself in a way that our religion, as being a liberal religion, we're not like those fundamentalists. We're not like those people that literally believe the Bible. I'll never forget, she asked him this question. She, she said, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian. I don't take the stories from Scripture literally. 
I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. And then she looked at him, she said, do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? And I'll never forget, Hitchens said these words to her. He said, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. I mean, he's an atheist. He doesn't believe it. But, but he looks at her and he said, how could you ever say you're a Christian if you don't believe it really happened? If you don't believe you really died, that he paid for sins and that he rose again? See, he, he recognizes resurrection It's the dot that connects the whole story. It's the the aha moment of human history that brings all of it into focus. That we not only see him for who he is, but we see us for who we are and our desperate need for him. It's the point in history where we have hope. And I think if there's anything we need in these times, it's hope. It's hope no matter what we're facing. It's hope even in the face of death. See, resurrection is that link. Paul said it. He said, if Christ has been resurrected, then we'll be resurrected. That's why we have that hope. You know, Winston Churchill was a Christian. And at his funeral, he set it up at the end of the funeral. It was at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And in this beautiful cathedral, and they had this liturgy that they used for the funeral. He, He had set up all the parts, but at the very end, this is what he had requested. Right when it was ending, he put a bugler up in the the dome of the cathedral on one side. And he had that bugler play taps, that that military song that was played at the end of the day to say that the day was over. And so the bugler bugled out that, that long, mournful taps, and then there was silence. But then after a moment of silence, he had arranged another bugler to bugle out Reveille, the morning song that was every morning to say it's a new day that's begun. See, it was Churchill's way of saying there's hope that even when the day is done in this lifetime, it's only beginning there. And why could he do that? Why could he say that? Because he took Jesus at his word. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, Anyone who believes in me will rise again. Churchill believed it. It's the point that has changed all of history. It gives us hope in the face of death. Guys, it gives us hope in the face of suffering. And I think that's something that we need today. In some ways, I think we've missed that part of the picture. Remember the Israelites, their biggest struggle was they couldn't understand how could he be Messiah if he suffered. And Jesus said, no, don't you realize it's the suffering that led to glory. And the apostle Paul says the same thing about us. He says being a Christian doesn't mean you get out of all suffering. But here's the hope for every Christian, that God uses our suffering to prepare us for glory. I love how he puts it in Romans 8. Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
He says, yes, we suffer now, but it doesn't compare with the glory to come. And the reason we can hold on to that hope, the reason we can believe that is resurrection. It's Easter. You know, years ago, I remember Rick and Kay Warren, Pastor Rick, who, who leads at Saddleback Church, they went through the tragedy. Their son, Matthew, who was 27 years old, had suffered with depression and mental illness for years. And at the age of 27, he took his own life. And they were heartbroken. Now, Matthew was a Christian. He loved the Lord, and so they had the hope of seeing him again in eternity. But that's a pain that I, I think may be the hardest for a parent to lose a child. And Pastor Rick said he's often asked in the years to come, how do you get through this? How do you get through the pain? And he would always say these words, Easter. Easter's what gets me through. Listen as he describes what he means. This is really powerful. He said, you see, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was the day of hope and joy and victory. And here's a fact of life. You will face these three days over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking, as I did, these three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Number two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? And he said the answer to all three is Easter. Because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus overcame, we can get through the pain. We can make it through days of doubt. We can hold on to the fact that we know that there is joy and victory no matter what we face in life. I hope you know this is true for you. See, there's a reality about this that all of us have to come to grips with. The resurrection changed human history. The resurrection changes everything. But it only changes your life personally if you receive him as your Savior and Lord. If you receive the gift of what he accomplished when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, it's one thing to know about it. It's a different thing to receive it. You know, as Monica told us one year ago, Nicole wrestled with that on Easter morning. For a couple of days, she wrestled until she received it personally. Do you know that's true about you? Do you know you have the hope, not only for this life, but also for the life to come? And if you don't, it's not hard. It's not hard to take that step. I, I love how Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Look how he describes it. And I would encourage you, if you've never taken this step, look what he says. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. In other words, you're not hiding it. It's not this thing on the side. You actually declare it. This is true about my life. You declare, you know what? Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Messiah. He's the one that died on the cross for me. That's what that means. And notice he says, and you believe in your heart. You actually make a heart choice. 
that God raised him from the dead. See, that, that faith step that you go, you know what? I believe Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross, and I believe he rose from the dead. And it actually happened in human history, and I believe it in my heart. You know what happens if you do that? You'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. This term is actually justify. When you believe in your heart, you know what it means? God declares you're right. He declares you're forgiven. And every sin you've ever committed or will commit is forgiven in that moment because of Christ. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Have you done this? You know, this Easter would be the best day to mark that. This Easter would be the best day to take this step. And guys, especially with what's going on in the world, with all that we're facing and the uncertainty and the doubt, don't you need to connect the dots in your own life that you go, I know my past is secure and forgiven. I know my presence is in his hands. And I know my future will always be in the hands of my Savior. Because he is that. I believe he's my Lord. And I want to believe and declare in my heart that God's raised him from the dead. I want to give you the moment right now, if you've never done that, to take that step. And maybe you don't know the words to say. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask everyone who's watching this, whether you're alone, whether you're with a group, your family, in a room, would you bow your heads right now or just close your eyes, even if you're not somebody who prays, out of respect to the other people in the room, would you close your eyes? And if you want to take that step with me right now, would you to God just pray these words? Say, dear Lord, I need you. I want to declare right now, Jesus is my Lord. He died for my sins. I need his forgiveness. I believe in my heart that he rose from the dead. His resurrection has changed the world. And I'm asking you, God, to change my life. Let me pray for you right now. Father, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you for the power of resurrection. We thank you how it changed human history. I thank you, Lord, it changed my life. I thank you as a little six-year-old boy, I prayed a simple prayer, and I've never been the same. And there's security in my life. There's security with my past and my present and my future because of Jesus. Lord, I pray this for everyone who prayed this prayer. I pray that they would know now they've been changed forever. I pray for everyone who's hearing this and maybe they've been far from you and you're using this now that they would turn and live in a way that you are Savior and you are Lord. Lord, I pray for everyone who needs hope that you are the God of hope and our hope rests in the fact that Jesus Christ not only died on a cross, but he rose. He stepped out of that grave. And the world has been changed ever since. Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen. Guys, I want to encourage you, if you took that step of faith, you know, it said in that verse, it's not something that you hide. It's something you openly declare. So here's what I want to encourage. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to help you. And you can see on the screen there, if you will text Easter 2020, 
all one word there, Easter 2020, to the number 555-888. We'll send you an email, and in that email, there's a number of options, and you can click them if you made a faith step and you'd like to grow more and have some information about it. There's an option for that. If you need prayer and you want somebody to pray for you, maybe you have questions. Maybe you're hearing this, you're not ready to take the step, but you'd like to talk to somebody. By texting, you haven't committed to anything. Nobody's going to come and find you. All we'll do is send you the email that gives you those options. But I would encourage you, if you've taken one step, go ahead and take that second one. Together, let's watch and see what God could do this Easter. It has been so great to be with you, so great to celebrate. In fact, I want us to close out now and focus on the fact that we have hope And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.